0: Hi, this is the ATC Double Cut, and I'm Michael Woods taking another look at some of the content from the ATC blog this week. And there is a ton of stuff that I've been working on. One of the first things that I do at the start of the year, well, at least for the past five years, has been to look at Turfgrass Twitter and try to identify some of the most influential accounts. And I did this again this year, looking back at all of the tweets that were sent from industry accounts in 2021. So that comes to be over a million tweets. It takes quite a while, about 24 hours on two machines to download those tweets, and then I can look at how many times each tweet was retweeted, how many times it was favorited, and how many times each user was mentioned. And as I do that, I then combine the scores or the different rankings in different categories and come up with an overall ranking for influential turf accounts. The way that I screen this and identify what is a turf industry account is pretty simple, and I've followed the same criteria for the past five years, and that is... I first identify all of the followers of a selection of turfgrass scientists, some turfgrass scientists from the United States, from the UK, and from Australia, to try to get a broad geographical reach. And then I also find the followers of some associations, some industry associations, such as the Golf Course Superintendent's Association of America, the Australian Sports Turf Managers Association, the, what is it, the Grounds Maintenance Organization, the Grounds Management org- Association in the UK, various groups, the Sports Turf Managers Association in the United States, the Canadian Superintendents Association. I find all of the followers of those accounts also. And then I intersect those lists of followers. So we, we have something like... Uh, I don't know, 60,000 total followers, if we add together all the followers of those scientists and all the followers of those associations. And by intersecting those lists, I can find people who follow at least one of the scientists, and they also follow at least one of those industry associations. And so that's what I'm calling the Turfgrass industry accounts, and then I go through and get the tweets from the past year and look at how those tweets were shared, how those tweets tweets were favorited, commented on, and what people were talking about, which which accounts people were talking about last year. So when I did that in 2021, we get a few uh, borderline turfgrass accounts. It's one is the uh, Society of Golf historian, something like that. Then the fried egg, which I think is a bit about architecture, maybe a little bit uh, of, of superintendent type content, and then um, then we start getting into the the turf grass industry accounts. Um, so we've got the CG CG Greenkeeper, we've got um, Paul Larson, we've got Golf Course Industry Magazine, Pat Jones. The gcsaa that is the ranking where i include six different things um so that that's a ranking that makes an all-around score where i've ranked people based on the number of followers that they have the tweet creation rate which is how much they're tweeting throughout the year uh, a score of how many favorites they've gotten and also how many retweets they've gotten and how many times their tweets were quoted in which somebody retweeted with a comment and also the total number of mentions so that that's one way to do the ranking and this ranking is quite sensitive to which categories one includes another way that i've done this is omitting the tweet creation rate so you might think what if somebody uh doesn't tweet all the time they could still be influential and so i kind of like this way better because i rank a little bit higher and uh because you could uh my idea for doing this really is just to see really which of the scientists i want to see which of the turfgrass scientists the people who whose job really is to develop new turfgrass information and share turfgrass information i want to see how we rank and so in, in this one, this other score that I do, I omit the tweet creation, I omit the mentions. So if there's a lot of back and forth conversation where my account is always getting mess it, um, mentioned because I'm just having lots of conversations, but they're not really about sharing information. It's just like, Hey, uh, funny, uh, dog picture or something like that. Um, those aren't going to get scored either. And I, we also include a ranking for the followers-to-following ratio, which is a partial indication of how potentially popular an account might be, um, and it's not really boosting its followers by by following a lot of accounts so people will follow back. So if we do that, it kind of shuffles thing up, shuffles things up a little bit. My account pops into the top 15. And people like Bill Kreuser, who's another scientist, he he jumps up to 18, and his account wasn't even on that previous list. So I think um, this whole ranking thing is very sensitive to how you do it, and there's no right way to do it. So anybody can find a type of ranking in which they score poorly or in which they score well. And I mean this all as a bit of fun, and uh, I think most people take it like that and to make easy to find out uh, how various accounts have ranked I make a shiny app to do that and I embedded it in this blog post as with all of these double cut episodes I will include a direct link to all of the posts that I talk about in the description so that you can go look at these if you haven't seen them already There's a shiny app that I actually was able to embed in the post this year. I learned some new technology to figure out how to do that. And there's a nice feature. Right at the top of each table, there's a search bar. And I heard from a couple people, they said they scrolled through those tables for 10 or 15 pages, just looking for their name to see where they ranked. Uh, I recommend just going to the search bar, typing in, the account that you're looking for and if you do that it will pop right up in the search so that works pretty good and you can go you can you can look at overall rankings you can look at how things are in the retweet uh index you can look at the tweet creation rate you can look at who has the most mentions who has the most followers various things like that so that's that's something that i've done i'm i'm not sure if i'm going to keep doing this it uh after doing it for five years it it's not so exciting (laughs) anymore actually um and and i kind of feel like i understand how it works but a lot of people a lot of people do seem to appreciate this and uh and get some good fun out of it so i might do it just just for that reason um just so people can can get some enjoyment out of that it does make the turf twitter a, a little bit fun Um, and I have some ideas of, of things like trying to put it into a, a shiny app that people could opt into. So, um, that way anybody that, that, uh, didn't want to be involved in the ranking, they wouldn't have to be, you could opt into it. And, and, uh, that would be a little bit trickier for me to code. And probably I'm never going to get around to doing that. So I'm not sure what's going to happen next year but uh let me know if you if you like this and you really want it to happen and uh and and if enough people want me to do it i i will i've also put all of this code on github so um, anybody can can take that code and modify it and could duplicate this analysis if they wanted to so that's that's one thing that is interesting you can see that on my website and then I did an, another post this past week that's one of my favorites actually this one is is something that I call 10 posts no one read in 2021 no um 10 posts that no one read last year and what that is is the 10 posts on the blog last year I had 70 70 new posts and these are the 10 that got the fewest number of views. Now, in the previous episode, I talked about some of the ones and the topics that got the most views last year. These are the ones that got the fewest. And I don't know that it's necessarily because they're not so interesting. It's, it, it could just be that I, I shared them when it was during the Super Bowl and nobody was paying attention, or it could be I posted it on a weekend and nobody was paying attention. And it could also be that the content is just not very interesting to anybody. But when I look at this, I see some of some overlap between the, the top posts and some of the least viewed posts. So I want to go through some of these, give them an, another chance, because I think some people may have missed these during the year. So the The 10th post was the OM246 reports explained, and I've made a new OM246 report. That is a way to measure what OM246 stands for is uh, measuring total organic matter at, at different depths in the soil. And I made a video that explains how those reports work and what the reports that I generate are showing. I think that's quite interesting, especially if you're doing this type of testing. It's would be it would be worth your time to watch that one, um, and and make sure that you understand what you can and can't do with those data. Another one is a recent one. It um, that one I I posted in December, so it doesn't have a lot of time through the year to get a lot of uh, a lot of views. And that was Zoysia water use and facts fact-checking, in which I just showed some photos that demonstrate how much better Bermuda grass is than Zoysia grass when you are supplying less than, uh, let's say, less water than the grass can use so zoysia will go completely dormant, stop growing. Eventually, it will die if you would continue that for long enough time. And the Bermuda grass can still stay green. Then there was a philosophical one about extending the beer analogy. The beer analogy is something that I've talked about in relation to understanding how the MLSN guidelines work. MLSN guidelines are a way to make fertilizer recommendations for turf grass, and In extending the beer analogy, I extended this to talk a little bit about ideal nutrient levels in the soil. And I also explained how it's kind of silly. I think the way that I did this is saying it's kind of silly to say that there would be an ideal amount of beer in your garage, for example, because the ideal amount of beer in your garage depends on what the situation is and if you have a big party coming up or if you don't have a big party coming up or if you don't drink beer at all, it, it really depends. I I don't think that there's an ideal that there's at, at every single day in the year, there's not going to be an ideal amount of beer that's in your garage. Sometimes you would need to have more beer. Sometimes you would do just fine with less beer. And I think that is, to me, that's kind of an interesting way to think about nutrients in the soil also. And, and I, continually encourage people to not think about nutrients in the soil as being at an ideal level because I don't think that ideal level exists. Another one uh, was very straightforward. Number seven, as we're counting down to the least viewed post of the year, number seven was where I introduced the podcasts, the ATC Office Hours and the ATC Double Cut Debut. And that was one that was also in December, and it got relatively few views. And then the next one, number six, was about ball on Zoysia Greens. And I I know a lot of people don't have a chance to putt on Zoysia Greens, but please check out that video. It's actually one of the videos that's gotten the most views this year. So the blog post didn't get a huge number of views, but the video did. And the video is pretty cool because it's got some footage, some video footage of ball roll on Zoysia Greens with some really remarkable quotes from Herbert Warren Wind about the characteristics of Zoysia Greens. And it's very interesting to see how the way that the ball rolls on Zoysia matches with the way that he described it. Then number five is tissue tests as post-mortem types of analyses. And this is a... This was a quote from an article... Well, actually, it was a book chapter. It's a book chapter in... Um, well, let me click this post and, and check it. Uh, it was in so, Chapter 1 of Soil Testing and Plant Analysis, 3rd Edition. And the quote is total plant analysis and plant sap analysis rapid tissue tests are post-mortem types of analyses that help explain what was wrong that year on that soil but do not quantitatively predict fertilizer needs and this is something that i have been harping on a bit for the past five years or so about tissue tests being a particularly poor way to decide whether to apply fertilizer or not. I think tissue tests and measuring the nutrients in the leaves can be useful for research purposes. But as a routine test that you would do and then decide to adjust your fertilizer based on that, it um, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And so when I read quotes like this that that explain it in another way, in, in this case, as a post-mortem type of analysis, it, it kind of makes sense to me, and I like to share that. Another post was about an extraordinarily interesting golf tournament. That was my preview post before KBC Augusta, where I pointed out that the greens had only been top dressed once all year. It had just happened to rain about uh, 800 millimeters or something like that. Um, what is that? Well over a foot, um, in in the few weeks before the tournament, and I think that's yeah, almost almost three feet, almost three feet of rain, in in the the few weeks leading up to the tournament. The greens had only been top dressed once in the year, and I would make a subsequent video about that, showing how the ball reacted. But this was a preview post right before the tournament, saying. this is an extraordinarily interesting golf tournament i'm really looking forward to seeing what happens and how the ball reacts and it turned out the ball reacted quite well and the balls were still bouncing bouncing forward on the greens and it's something that i put a link in the post also to that video um, because i think it's worthwhile to think that if that can if those results can happen at one golf course in the world maybe they could happen at more than one i'm not saying that everywhere can have greens that firm where they can have almost three feet of rain in the the month in less than a month before the tournament top dress only once per year and and still hold a professional tournament with great success that's not going to work everywhere but it probably works at more than just that course then number three is one that I really, really like. It's a series of videos from the American Battle Monuments Commission. And this is the government agency that's in charge of taking care of all of the overseas, all of the American military overseas cemeteries in Europe, in Asia. Um, And I think there, probably there's one in North Africa. Um, I've been to a few of these cemeteries and besides, for from the historical uh, aspect of it, and and just realizing how much sacrifice there was for so many people to die in these wars, it's also quite interesting as a turfgrass scientist to see the quality of the turfgrass that's produced and see, um the types of grasses that are grown. So if you watch some of these videos, and I recommend the one for the Manila American Cemetery, which is the largest overseas American cemetery, it's interesting both from a historical perspective and also as, uh, as a grass person, it's interesting to see the types of grass and how well they are maintained. Then number two, we're, we're almost to the least viewed post of the year. Number two is a tour of the Global DLI app. This looks at the app that I made about a year ago in which you can pick any point in the world and download a chart that shows the daily, weekly, and monthly summary of the photosynthetically active radiation for that location based on NASA satellite data for pretty much anywhere in the world. It's it's really cool and I did a tour of that walking through how that works and, and what you can do at different stages of that app. And then number one, the least viewed post of the year on the ATC website, this was a post called Turfgrass Videos with Japanese and Thai Subtitles. So I understand that most of my viewers, most of my readers, are not particularly interested in Japanese and Thai subtitles because they're reading in English. But let me make a plea. Uh, Well, plea is a bit of a strong word. Uh, uh, I'll make a suggestion. The reason why I chose those particular turfgrass videos to go to the trouble of making Japanese and Thai subtitles is because I thought those were the the most meaningful and the most important videos. I didn't do that for all my videos, I've just done it for some of them so far. And so the videos that that I listed there in that post as having Japanese and Thai subtitles are ones that I think anybody, including English speakers, might like to watch because they are actually in English. So that was, that was a post of uh, 10 that, the 10 posts that no one read last year. And then I also did another quick sum, uh, survey at the end of the year. And I know many of you will have answered this. And I put these results up on my website. This is a post that I called Results of the ATC Content Preferences Survey. And I, I've been wondering what people want in terms of content, what they prefer in terms of content from ATC. I I kind of like writing, and I know this is biased because most of the people who are following me, who get my email newsletter, who are following, following me on Twitter, they are accustomed to seeing a lot of written content and a lot of links to posts that, that they will click the link and go through to a post and they can read it. So naturally, I expect that people that are following me, because I always do provide written content, it seems likely that they will um, want that type of content. It's just, uh, that's the bias that I would expect. And I've recently been doing a bit more video and a bit of audio content, and I wanted to ask people what they think of this. So this was a survey that I sent first to the blog email list. that is a list of people who get an email every time the blog is updated and then i also posted an almost identical survey on twitter and and i asked the people on twitter who follow me if they could complete that also so in total in total i got 106 completed surveys between the the two places where i sent that out and I asked a question, a rank question. I said, which type of content do you prefer from ATC? And the choices were books, blog posts, podcasts, email newsletters, YouTube videos, or scientific articles. So I gave six choices and asked the survey respondents to rank those. And it was a slightly different result, whether the... The survey was filled out by my followers on Twitter, or whether the survey was filled out by the blog email list. So naturally, the people who are, who received this survey because they were subscribed to a newsletter list that that reports all my blogs. It's no surprise that they chose, they ranked it as number one blog posts, number two email newsletters, because of course they would. That's what they're subscribed to. They ranked number three, podcasts, number four, scientific articles, number five, YouTube videos, number six, books. On Twitter, it's also not terribly surprising that the number one ranking was blog posts. So both, both surveys, they identified blog posts as the content that they would most like to, pref- or the, the content that they prefer from ATC, if, if, as their first choice. On Twitter, though, Podcast was the second choice, YouTube videos was a close third, then email newsletters, then scientific articles, and books was last again. Now, it doesn't surprise me either that books is last because I haven't really provided any spectacular books recently. Um, I I would like in the future uh, for books to be a little bit higher in in the ranking because I have plans to sometime have good books. I think a lot of us do. And uh, I I do have a, a decent book in Japanese, but uh, in, in English, I don't have anything to that detail quite yet. So that was interesting uh, to see that blog posts are number one, podcasts were ranked two by Twitter, podcasts were ranked three by the email list. So it seems like people like podcasts maybe a little bit better than YouTube videos. Nobody's really excited about scientific articles or books. And most people are, are liking blog posts. But of course, they would like blog posts because they're, people are accustomed to getting blog posts from me. So I think basically, I just need to produce good content. But I, I was interested to see how everybody ranked that. So thanks, everyone, for for answering that question. And telling me what you prefer, and then I, uh, I'm going to skip the question of, well, no, uh, let me explain what was different between the Twitter survey and the email newsletter survey. The survey I sent to the email uh, newsletter group, I said, for written content, which do you prefer? Do you, for blogs and other written content, if you had a choice, would you prefer... And then I I gave the options of, I'm happy to get all the turf info I can, both, shorter content shared more frequently, or would they prefer for written content to have longer content shared less frequently? And the results of that question were quite clear from that group. They, 69% said do both. They're happy to get all the turf info they can. 26% want shorter content shared more frequently. That's what they would prefer. And only 5% want longer content less frequently. So those results were so clear that I didn't bother asking it on the Twitter survey. I thought for the Twitter survey, let me just make it simpler, faster, easier to complete. And then I asked another question, which is also trying to get it how people like the written content or if they prefer video or podcasts, I said, would you prefer to read, watch, or listen? Actually, the exact question was, if you had to choose just one, how would you prefer to get turf content from ATC? So the this one, it was, number one was read, number two, was listen, and number three was watch. But it depended which group you came from. So the blog email group was strongly in favor of reading. 62% chose that as their first choice. That was their preference. And for Twitter, it wasn't such a strong preference. 39% chose reading, number one. 31% chose YouTube videos or watch. Uh, as their number one, and thirty percent of the Twitter survey respondents chose listen. So, with Twitter, there's a bit more interest in the listening and watching for the email. For the people who are subscribed to an email newsletter list, it does not surprise me that they would prefer to read uh, read the content. So, that that was quite interesting to see the differences and to see the general breakdown and if i if i combine those and summarize the results across both survey groups it comes to 48% prefer reading 26.5% prefer listening and 25.5% prefer watching so basically that's 50% would read and 25% would watch 25% would listen so that was that was good and I asked another question: Have you watched any of the ATC double cut or ATC office hour episodes on YouTube or listened to the podcasts? And basically, that was about two thirds said yes in both groups. About one third had not. And then I I asked a follow up question: If the answer was yes to that, I said, Would you like to watch or listen to more of this type of content in 2022 this year? And that was. Quite similar results, Uh, 55% said, yes, I like both. Uh, About 22% said they prefer podcasts. About 17% said they prefer videos. So that's like 75% or 80%, 90%. That's about 90% of the respondents either want both or they would like podcasts or videos only about 5% said no they'd rather read and 2% in the twitter survey said no the videos and podcasts aren't very good so i'm quite glad to know that the people who went to the trouble of filling out the survey they they think that it's good enough that that they'd like more of it and I'm going to keep working at it to try to make it better and to try to make it worth your time. So whether it's both or whether it's podcasts or whether it's videos or whether it's reading material, uh, I'm going to try to make it as good as it can be and and useful for you. And I had another question, which is open-ended, about do you have any other topics you'd like to hear about or any suggestions you'd like to make? And I was overwhelmed at how many people gave excellent suggestions and ideas for that so thank you so much for that i've made a list of that on my computer about possible future topics to discuss or to research and i really appreciate that so we've just gone through a twitter survey which is not really going to help anybody with their grass although you can get a lot of good information and have some fun on twitter on Turfgrass twitter so i recommend it if you if you don't ever go there, check it out. Um, I've gone through the the ten blog posts of the year that did not get uh, that got the least views. Some of those are interesting. I would encourage you to check them out again. and we've just reviewed this survey, which I like to do every year, this uh, at least one of these, just kind of to a uh, check on how I'm doing and seeing what people are interested in these days. and I've done another blog post, which was answering a question. So this is going to be the final one that I talk about in this double cut episode. And I called this one, I have always heard deep and infrequent was the way to go. And this is about irrigation. And a correspondent wrote with this question. He said, I was listening to the end of your conversation with Chris Trittabaugh." And there he's referring to the Office Hours episode where Chris and I, uh, at the end of last year, talked about, ostensibly, where we were talking about his OM246 report, but it ended up talking a lot about playability and about turfgrass management and and all kinds of things. And apparently, in that long conversation, we also talked about irrigation because my correspondent said... He was listening to the end of your conversation with Chris Tritabaugh and you guys briefly discussed using light and frequent versus deep and infrequent irrigation. I was surprised to hear you and Chris lean more to the side of light and frequent. I have always heard deep and infrequent was the way to go. I read your blog titled for irrigation, which is better deep and infrequent or light and frequent and was wondering if you could expand on this. So I sent an article, uh, actually it was a seminar handout. I sent a seminar handout from a seminar that I gave in Osaka in 2013. And I've also shared that same handout or something quite similar at the Northern Green Expo uh, conference in 2016. And that was called Irrigation Management in Summer timing, amount, syringing, and water quality. And to summarize, there's a a paragraph in that document. And so I I sent that document to him and said, I'm going to write some more about it on my blog, which I've done now, and that's what I'm talking about right now. Um, But I I quoted this. I said, so in that handout, I'd looked at some experiments that had looked at Different ways of irrigating, and I said a study of the these experiments leads me to the conclusion that maintaining volumetric water content (VWC) at a lower level will give the best chance for improved turf quality and more extensive roots. As a practical matter, the best approach will usually be a combination of infrequent irrigation events interspersed with frequent irrigation events. And I I recommend reading Paul Johnson's article from the uh, USGA Turfgrass and Environmental Research Online, Tiro, from 2003. He's got an article about irrigation in the dry climate of Utah, where the basically the frequent irrigation gave the best turf grass quality but it was even better if you sometimes did deep and inf- if you sometimes did uh, deep watering so uh, the conclusion is that practically you do both and i continued in my summary i said for turf grass managers i suggest focusing not so much on whether irrigation is applied frequently or infrequently, but rather on applying just the right amount of water for a particular situation and on keeping the volumetric water content as low as possible. And that's something that I didn't always think that way. I used to think that deep and infrequent was the way to go. I used to do that, in fact, to the point where I caused localized dry spot that was quite difficult for us to recover from. When I was a golf course superintendent, I've probably told this story uh, you you may have heard that before uh, about the way that I used to do irrigation and how I changed. And Doug Soldat, who's a professor at the University of Wisconsin, I put a, a beautiful picture in this post of us in Ayutthaya, Thailand, feeding cucumbers to a friendly elephant on that trip that he took to Thailand with Dr. Jim Kearns, who also joins us in that photo. So check out the blog to see us there. Um Doug came to Thailand he he was speaking at a conference he came to my research area when I had the ATC research area back then and I was I think I was like kind of guiltily saying uh you know I'd really like to to irrigate deep and infrequent but we just don't have the pumps not big enough we we can't get enough water out to irrigate the way that I want to so we're just kind of spread a little bit of water every day and Doug's like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, and that's better. Actually, you you can use less water that way. And I'd never thought of it that way before. In fact, I, I I thought that the I didn't understand it at first. But when Doug tells me something like that, I figure he probably knows what he's talking about. So so I I'm like, okay, I must be wrong. I need to think this through. So I thought it through. That was that was in 2009. And quickly, I realized, yeah, you, you can actually apply less water when you apply water frequently, and you can maintain the, the soil moisture a little bit higher, and you don't have those big extremes of dipping down close to the, the point at which the soil will become hydrophobic. So it, it seems like it has quite a few advantages and i think it's easiest to understand this for me if we do some simulation and in this blog post about how i'm explaining why light and frequent irrigation is a pragmatic approach that can work quite well in in producing excellent turf grass quality and still providing benefits like using less water keeping more airspace in the soil, and also keeping the soil from dropping down so low that it's going to favor the development of localized dry spot. I think it's useful to do some simulations of how you might irrigate. So I did that. Um, I've made this app. The only place in the United States, the only place outside of Asia that I included was Corvallis, Oregon. I will try to do this for some other locations so that people can check it. But right now I've got a I've got two apps. One does three places in the Philippines. The other one has Corvallis and four locations in Thailand. And basically it's not meant to be so much for these specific locations, it as just to show here are the ways that you can modify some irrigation rules, what I call the irrigation rules. And then you use the actual weather data for those locations, which is precipitation and the evapotranspiration, and go through an entire year and see how much water you would need to use if you changed your irrigation rules, and also look at how um, look at how the average soil moisture content would be through the year. The rules are you can adjust the root zone depth, you can adjust the field capacity of the root zone, which is how much water the soil can hold, you can adjust the trigger point at which the what the soil water content will be on the low side when it's going to trigger you to make an irrigation application. And then when you do make an irrigation application, how much water will you apply? To what volumetric content will you raise the soil? Will you raise it all the way to field capacity, which to me would be deep and infrequent? Or will you raise it to something below field capacity, which would be more like a light and frequent irrigation plan and then you can also change the crop coefficient and you can also change the irrigation system to uniformity if you did that i i put this in the blog post i i ran it using 2015 weather data for three locations uh which is kong in northeast thailand corvallis oregon and cebu in in the visayas region of the philippines and I used a 10-centimeter or 4-inches root zone depth, a 25% field capacity, used both 0.7 for the crop coefficient and for the distribution uniformity, and then I ran the calculator for the entire year of 2015 for two different scenarios. One is deep and infrequent, which is irrigation when the soil gets down to 12% volumetric water content raising the soil back to field capacity of 25%. And light and frequent irrigation I set to be apply irrigation when the soil gets down to 14% and raise the soil up only to 20% volumetric water content. If we do that, at all three of those locations, you end up using less water over the course of the year with light and frequent. And also... So you've used less water, so it's no surprise that you'll also have a lower average volumetric water content. On average, the volumetric water content through the year was about 2% lower when you were doing light and frequent irrigation compared to using deep and infrequent irrigation. If If you try to compare these in places where it never rains you'll get the same result. But in places where it does rain, it's more efficient to do light and frequent irrigation. And sometimes you need to soak the soil. Or if if you have salts, you need to add extra water. If you have a salinity issue, then that needs to take priority. But if we're just talking about water, if we're just talking about what's the ideal way to water, I'm no longer in the camp of... of well I'm I'm no longer going around teaching seminars like I did in 2006 and 2007 2008. I'm I'm not managing turf teaching seminars or giving advice that deep and infrequent is the only way to go or the best way to go. I'm not doing that at all and instead I'm like how how big how much water can you pump? Like a lot of places can't the pumps not big enough. They can't do a deep and infrequent irrigation and also if you think about like tournament golf or think about uh professional sport or amateur sport of any level uh think about sports fields you you can't play on them when they're you can't have the best playing surfaces when they're absolutely soaking wet at field capacity. Usually the optimum playing conditions are going to be when the soil moisture content is a bit below field capacity. And for golf tournaments, generally you would try to keep the soil moisture content consistent if you could from day to day through the week of a tournament. I think that's what the ideal conditions are. And it makes sense to me to try to duplicate that by doing light and, frequent irrigation rather than doing uh deep and infrequent so i used to be all about deep and infrequent but i'm not anymore and there's one more thing i updated on my website this week in the uh there's a moon now in the top right corner if you see this on your phone on your if, if you're viewing this on a phone you can see the search uh, the search icon in the top right corner and also you'll see a moon now so you can change it to dark mode. Uh, and I usually view my own website in light mode, but there's a lot of other websites I view in dark mode. And I, I disabled this feature all of last year because I didn't want to clutter the top of the page with too many icons. And then I, I was moving from websites that, that were in dark mode or night mode. I was moving from those onto my own website and it was so bright and I thought, man, I'm I'm kind of hurting my eyes sometimes with this. And I thought if I'm doing that to myself, I would sure hate to have my readers having the same experience. So if they want dark mode or or night mode, I've enabled it for this year. So you can click on that moon in the top right corner, I think you can see that on on your phone's browser also when you go to the website, and and you can enable that. So that's one more new thing on the website, and this has been a quite a long episode. But to kick off the year, I've ended up doing quite a few blog posts, and rather than breaking them up into a bunch of short ones, I thought I I'd, I'd do a bit longer ATC double cut today. I I really appreciate everybody who has shared this type of um, shared the results of my Twitter uh, Twitter analysis. I, I appreciate that those those posts got a tremendous number of views, and I appreciate everyone who took the time to fill out the survey and give me some guidance about what you like to read or or if you like to watch or listen. How how that goes. It, it helps me plan what I'm going to focus on this year. Well, thanks so much, and I appreciate your interest in these matters. And I'll be back again soon with even more content. Uh, I'm going to be getting right back to the turf grass stuff. No, not so much of these rankings and uh, and 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 lists anymore uh, until hopefully until the end of end of the year, I I suppose. All right. Thanks. Thank you. And uh, see you next time.